Oh, hello. Oh, nice. <laughs> giving birth to a sumo wrestler. <laughs> hello. a very special edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for hitting the download button. We sure do appreciate it. We've had a terrific start to the year. People around the world are getting their mojo working. They're hooking into the show and uh, I've got to say the shows have been great. The downloads have been extraordinary. Thank you for your feedback and uh, it's been a pretty special time here in the studio over the last couple of days. As we started the year, we had some terrific shows which I think Robbo's doing a great job of making sound good. And at the same time, as you can tell by our little intro to the show, uh, big news, mate. What's going on, Robbo? Well, where there was three, there's now four. <laughs> right. Copy that. Roger that, my friend. Yeah. A new little Robbo is, um, is, has been walking the earth. Well, not walking the earth, but sleeping on the earth. Probably say, battle that's been going on. <laughs> he might be an overachiever, but uh, at 24 hours old, I don't think he's worked walking the corridors yet, is he? Yeah, no, not just yet. No, little Sam was born uh, Wednesday a week ago. So um, so he's doing really well. He's a, a big, bruising 4.6 kilos. Ooh. So, yeah, poor old mum's been suffering through the Australian summer, obviously. But, um, yeah, as you say, a bit of an overachiever. His APGAR scores, which is um, how they judge the health of a baby when it's first born, they do one straight away and then one two minutes later and they're both out of ten and he was a nine and a ten. So he's already an overachiever, mate. Nice. He was. Uh, sounds like he was well baked before he came out. He was very well baked and he's eating like there's no tomorrow. So I'm sure it won't be long until he's up and around. And, um, you know, I've got I've got three boys now, so I've got the front row, um, you know. I've got five more to go and I'll have the scrum. But you know what's funny about that is they say that athletes have girls. I'm just, look, I'm just saying. I'm yeah, right. just, well, I've got one I'm of those as well, saying. so, you know. <laughs> I've got the that pigeon pair. All right, now let's, uh, let's rip into the show. Speaking of athletes. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, if you're a regular listener of the Mojo Radio Show, you may recall a couple of weeks back we spoke to Jackie, who was running a small business with a product called Revy's, which is basically 40 grams of caffeine in like a little strip, uh, fully caffeinated, and you would use it if you need a little something-something to get you going for a big meeting or if you're an athlete. And 
When I was doing the research on Revies and their backstory, I came across a post by a lady who's a, a world-class athlete called Pip Taylor. And when I started reading about Pip, Pip had a fascinating background and had a lot to share on caffeine. Now, anybody who knows our show knows that we love our caffeine. Uh, is that fair, Robert? In fact, I'm on it right now. <laughs> In fact, we've got one now. So I contacted Pip to see if we could have a discussion about caffeine, uh, exercise, fitness and wellness, and thankfully Pip agreed to be on the little program and we've got her on the line. Pip, uh, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's, it's quite a treat for us to have an elite athlete on the show. Not that Robbo's not an elite athlete, but let's just uh, straight up, we're probably in a different <laughs> realm here, Robbo, with having a rural, rural athlete. Yeah, well, Pennant Hills beer sculling champion versus dry hathlete, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get on to your athletic career shortly, but just to start us off on a given day to day now, what sort of work are you doing and who would you do it with or for? Um, so I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Um, my work really encompasses a, a range of different avenues at the moment. Um, I do consults individually with athletes. Um, I tend to try and, and and keep it mainly with athletes and, and sports performance focused. Um, but I also work with um, some key companies in the industry, um, again, largely directed at that that sports performance target, um, as well as doing, you know, I, I write for, for a number of different publications and um, my own book came out last year. So... I guess got my finger in a few different avenues, which is which is good. It allows you to keep up to up to speed on, on what's happening in all those different areas as well. Because you're a professional athlete for for a number of years, um, yeah. Give us an executive summary of your the success you had in triathlon and running and like. Give us give us a snapshot. So I'm I'm still racing um, and still have you know ambitions. Um, to race professionally and, and and in many ways I almost feel like some of my best racing could be ahead of me. Um, I'm a mother as well, two young kids, so, it, so it's a big juggling act. Um, but I, I got into the sport of triathlon, oh, I don't know, I've, I, I guess it's been over 15 years now that I've raced professionally. Um, so I came from a, a junior athlete background of running and swimming um, and then progressed into triathlon and within, I think it was my second race, I got my professional licence and, and started racing before I even really knew what the sport was. Um, and over the years, you know, I, I've, I've really come to, to love it. it. It's part of my life. It's what I know. Um, I've raced all over the world, different events, um, Gone to world championships, represented Australia multiple times, um, and it's 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 really been not only a great experience, but it's also opened other avenues professionally as well. Um, and for me too, you know, it it also in a way kickstarted my some of my interest in um, sports nutrition. I've always you know I've always loved how the body works and um, been very interested in health, and I've always loved food. Um, but, you know, you quickly realise too as an athlete that every little performance gain counts um, and what you do day in and day out 
really counts when it comes to um, results on race day. And, you know, you, you quickly see too that nutrition is one thing that you can control yourself. Uh, so that was, you know, and from there I just started digging deeper and wanted to know more and figure everything out. <laughs> was there a moment in your mind that you remember where somewhere in your career you said, I can, actually, I can do this. Like I, I belong here. This is something that I, I can do and I have a right because a lot of people don't believe there's this whole default that people have in their mind about I'm not worthy or this, what they call the imposter syndrome in positive psychology. Was there a time where you actually remember going, I actually do belong here? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a funny one. I think I think for me, I was almost doing it before I knew what I was doing, um, and I I really honestly knew nothing about the sport of triathlon until I started. And the way I I fell into it was that I kind of got to the end of high school and I was still swimming and running. I was I was having quite a few um, run injuries, so I wasn't I didn't feel like I was able to really push that you know the swimming by that age you really know if you're going to make it or not um at, at a high level but I I still really loved it and I I love the training I, and I still do I love the training day in day out um so for me it was well I want to do something and I feel like I could perhaps be competitive some at something but I don't know what it is um so I I went down to the AIS and they have a a talent ID test where they you know, they measure all, all sorts of parts of your body and how high you can jump and if you can catch balls, which I can't. So that ruled out all <laughs> sports. Um, and, you know, that you get this kind of computer spit out this sheet and it gives you this list of sports and you might be suited to this and this and this and, and these ones you won't be. And triathlon was not, not number one on the list but was one of the most interesting ones to me. Um and so I literally started it. Um, you know, I, I, I got a secondhand bike and that was actually the bike that I rode my first season as a pro. Um, and, you know, I, I lined up at my first professional race, um, which back in the day, well, not my first professional race, but my the biggest series, the F1 series, which was that year known as one summer event. And it was, you know, it was, it was televised, it was... Triathlon was was big back in the the summer of those days in Australia, um, yeah. but I and I really didn't know. You know, I was naming, I was lining up against these big names in the sport from both Australia as well as overseas, and I didn't know that. It was only afterwards, and you know, I I I actually beat quite a few of those names, and I still didn't know what I had done. Um, and so you just kind of you're into it before before you know that. Um, but as to whether you belong, I think I think even throughout your whole career, you still kind of question that, and you're continually having facing setbacks, whether that's injury or illness or you know non-selection to a team, which which may actually not be based on your performance; it might be politically based. Um, so you're constantly questioning, you know, do I belong? Do I want to do this? Um, but it's I think there's always for any athlete there's a driver, and you have to. 
you have to love what you're doing else you, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> Purely out of interest, what was the number one on your list of sports from the AIS? I think I was actually kayaking. Wow. So not even closely related to what you do now. No, but I, I guess, you know, I had been swimming and so and I'm, I'm naturally quite strong. So I guess it strong was Strong shoulders, yeah. That strength and endurance combination. Who knows? <laughs> well, you've shown them, haven't you? by not being a kayaker. (laughs) That's right. What would you know? It's interesting. We spoke to a lady recently called Maria Gromberg, and Maria has climbed Kilimanjaro four times and just crested Mount Everest. Wow. And Maria made a comment on the show. She said that we all have to realise that our best self is still ahead of us. And. At the head of the show, you said that in a lot of ways you believe your best racing could be ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in that, in you explaining that to us, why you think that. And also, what do you believe now or is ahead of you that you wish you'd have known in your earlier days of racing? Oh, gosh, so much. I mean... I, I look back now and, you know, I, I see a young girl with talent and lots of potential and, and good advice around her but very headstrong. Um, and, you know, I, I love to train. I said that before, I love to train. And probably one of my weaknesses is that I've loved it too much um, and I've often overdone it and gone into races overdone. And it's – I've, you know, particularly over the last couple of years where I've, I've really had some time out – where I've started a family and, and that in itself gives you a lot of perspective on things. But the time out too you, you gives you the ability to sit back um, and look not only reflect on what you have done and how you've done it but also to look at what's currently happening and the athletes that are still competing and your peers and you start to see a lot of things that you don't see when you're caught up in the moment. It's very hard. It's you know, when you're, when you're training really hard and you don't have a result that you think that you should have based on that training, your automatic thought is, I need to do more or, you know, I need to, I need to do more in this area. Um, and sometimes it takes sitting back in that, you know, that, that distance or perspective to say, well, no, maybe you're doing too much and what you actually need to do is approach it smarter. Um, and be more more strategic in everything that you do. Having kids too forces some of that because you're very time aware. You have to be very time efficient in everything that you do. So you really just boil boil your training down to what what are the essentials, what is just kind of extra, and also given my training age, you know, I've been in the sport a long time and and before that I was a junior athlete and that that accumulates. It's not wasted. Um, so you, you can really afford to, to do the things that you need to do um, and, and skip the extras. What I find curious about this, Pip, is that we do these shows with high performers like yourself. And as I hear you talk, I can relate that back to a corporate athlete. And I'm curious as to your observations of being an athlete now and then also putting your foot into writing and running a business because the recovery piece seems like something that you've come to learn now as a mature athlete. The taking time out to reflect is something you can now see as an elite athlete moving on in time and you can apply those learnings. 
Are these things that you also applying to your work life now? Like, are you are you personally taking these lessons and applying the same thing to being a mum, being an entrepreneur, being an author, a writer? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny you say that because some of the work I do as a nutritionist actually, you know, encompasses that that corporate world a little bit as well. Um, you might be talking or, or presenting, and and it doesn't really. It doesn't really matter actually what aspect of life you're talking about, whether it is family or whether it's work. It's it's how you how you define success or performance. And there's such a big crossover back to the athletic world. Um, you might be using different terminologies, or the actual result might be different, but but the strategy is still exactly the same um, in terms of you know. <laughs> Not only the the day to day things of, of time planning and, and recovery and having time out, um, which applies directly to a, a work setting. You know, you don't want to have burnout in that setting. It, it applies to a family setting as well. Mm. Um, but even nu- nutritionally, all the nutritional strategies are the same in terms of having that 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 base of of optimizing good health through what you do day in day out um and then using strategy in a, in a performance setting it's the same in, in a work or corporate setting nutritionally as well do you know i i do find that curious that when you listen and or read about the top performing corporate athletes let's call them corporate athletes now they almost approach their world like a professional athlete. So I am suspecting in your time when you were on the circuit racing across the world, you had diet was a high priority, physically looking after yourself with recovery, messes, physios, chiros, sleep was imperative, rituals for a race. So you would have had these things absolutely dialed in as a professional athlete, yet What's interesting is that so fewer people in the working world apply the same disciplines or thinking to who they have around them, how they eat, how they sleep, how they recover, how they prep, how they visualise. Yet when you dig into the top performers, they do. Are you noticing that, that you almost have to pull people into this area to say, look, it's, it is no different between what I did back then and you being the best at being an entrepreneur, being a leader of a school, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've actually been been blown away by that um, recently too, and and you and you do see a, a real spectrum, and you see the people who are being really innovative um, and really pushing boundaries in in their particular field or, or setting out, being really entrepreneurial, um, and and you see others within the field too, and it's exactly as you say, you know, they they're not paying attention to. Being a being the best them in from a from a wellness point of view, you know, they might think that they're working hard because they're working all through the night, so they're only getting three or four hours sleep, or you know, they're eating they're eating really poorly day in day out, and might give them a short term energy boost, but but also really not recognizing that it that it impacts on their performance, it impacts on their ability to to think clearly, to manage their moods. Um, all of which is so important in, in any setting, particularly in a work setting. Pip, if you were breaking it down and you had to put a percentage on what part was the mental game, 
versus what part was the physical game, being on the, the World Cup circuit, what, where would you put that balance? Uh, I, think, I think for me personally, in terms of whether I had a good result or not on a race day, I, I would put it almost all firmly on the, on the mental side. <laughs> um, I mean, clearly you can't perform if you haven't trained and you can't perform if you have an injury. But you put those aside, um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a head game, it's a headspace. How much would you say? Like when you look back now, someone who's been there and done that, and yet your best years, you feel as though are ahead of you. How much of it is a mental game now that you look back? I would say once you get to the start line, it's probably ninety-five percent mental. If you look back now, Pip, with say you are at this point now where you are straddling business and wanting to get back into athletics, what sort of stuff would you be doing to train yourself on a mental game? So we know that a higher percentage is mental. Are there particular things that you take yourself through that a corporate athlete could take themselves through to train to get better at the mental game? Um, I think for me personally what what works is, and, and this is even as you're preparing for a race through, through training, thinking about actual race day in terms of what it's going to feel like. I'm quite a visual person. I, I, I tend to do best when I know what the course looks like or so whether I've, I've, I've done a particular course before or it might mean that I, you know, I particularly I used to spend a bit more time looking at it. There's often videos of past years where you can just have a visual picture of what it looks like. Um, and then while you while you're training and, and particularly on some of the key sessions where your intensity is very high and, you know, you can get, you can get into some, some dark places. Um, learning how to, to embrace that, but to picture that on race day as well um, and know that it's going to hurt. That's not a bad thing. Um, and, and that's, that's, it's just what you, what you need to do. Um, but certainly, you know, even even in your training, there are times where you're not able to do that, and and that's okay as well. Um, and it's an indicator that you probably need a rest or a break, whether that's you know a day or whether that's you're going through a period where there's a lot of other stuff happening in your life or your work or your family, um, and you actually can't push everything at once. Say there's a a mum listening to the show right now who's about to run their first half marathon or there's a corporate warrior who's about to swim their first ocean swim or a former rugby player, Robbo, who is about to start <laughs> back playing with the old boys. He's going to put his head back in the scrum again. In your experience of a long time in professional sport, Pip, what would you say would be your best training insight that you would lend to someone who's about to go into that type of event? Oh gosh, I don't know. I think I think you've got to be you've got to be realistic, um, and you've got to be a bit kind to yourself too. You can't you can't expect to go in and crush it. Um, doesn't mean you, you can't push yourself, but you do need to be kind and, and respectful too for what your body has or hasn't done over the, the time or years leading into it. Um, you know, and something you, you see too with people that are entering back into sport, they might have been out of it for years or decades even, um, and and their last memory 
was when they were quite young playing sport. And often you see people have an expectation of just picking up where you left off. Um, and it's a, it's one, it's a slow process back into it, but your body's changed a lot in that time. Um, you know, ageing is something that none of us can avoid. We don't want to avoid it, but it's you need to be respectful of that as well so that you can stay in it for a long time without getting injured. One thing we don't think about, and as Gary just alluded to, I started back to rugby this year. I <laughs> had you picked up that, did you? Yeah, well, I, I had a look. I loved every minute of it. I, I played grade rugby years ago in the Sydney competition and hadn't played for a long time. I'd coached and been around the game, but not played. But started back this year at the coercion of a good mate of mine. G'day, Paul, if you're listening. Um, but one thing I wasn't prepared for, um, I was prepared for you know the, the the lungs burning and all the rest of it. But one thing I wasn't prepared for was the recovery time, and it's something that we don't think about until you sort of strike it, but. It, it, I guess my question is, is there a way we can prepare ourselves for that? Oh, absolutely. And as a, as a nutritionist, you know, whether it's the recovery or the performance, I mean, that's to me that's often my first, you know, thought um, in terms of how you can improve things. And, and the good news is for a lot of people is that there's generally a lot of improvement or at least some improvement that can be made in the diet. And it makes, it makes a massive difference. Mm. Um, so Tim Tams don't help. <laughs> Tim Tams probably not going to help. <laughs> um, I, I want to segue here for a second because in going through your stuff, Pip, um, we noticed that you are a fan of Revy's. Now, why that is curious for us is that we had Jackie from Revy's on the show prior to Christmas time, and we have a, a segment called Getting After It. And I had met Jackie at an event, and she told me the backstory to Revy's and what it was. And I found the whole thing fascinating. And I love the fact that this is a whole brand new category, creating something new. And I wanted to sort of hear about the struggle that. Jackie and the guys at Revy's were going through to bring this thing to life, that I noticed that you're into it as well. I guess my question is, um, how do you use, what do you think of Revy's and how do you go about using Revy's? And, and for those of you who may not have caught the show prior to Christmas, I think I'm correct in saying, Pip, that it's almost like a caffeine strip. It's like a Listerine strip, but it's 40 grams of caffeine. It gives you a Bit of a bit of a kick, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's a strip that dissolves in your mouth on your tongue. So it, so it's absorbed through your oral, cav- oral cavity, so through your mouth, um, which actually means that it that it hits your bloodstream quite quickly, um, as opposed to traditional routes where you would eat something. Um, and it goes through through your gut, um, and it takes you know kind of forty five minutes for it to, for it to really peak. Um, but when you take it through your mouth, within a matter of, of minutes, um, you're feeling that effect, um, and ev- even through a small amount. So, I mean, for, for me, I, I first saw the product and I thought that that is fantastic in a sports context um, because caffeine, in terms of sports performance, is really well researched, um, and we know that, that for the majority of people, um, there's going to be a performance benefit. Um, it's it's generally regarded as, as safe, um, you know, aside from some specific health conditions and and certainly not advisable for kids. Um, but as a as a safe and well researched product and one that's that's really well used, 
Um, you know, I, I saw it as really advantageous in that that sports setting. Because, um, I mean, caffeine, caffeine itself works in a number of ways, but the, the main way it works in, in a sports performance context is um, its effect on the central nervous system. Um, it's one of the compounds that can cross the blood-brain barrier. Uh, so you have those those feelings. It's actually an, it's an adenosine blocker. So adenosine occurs in all the cells in the body um, and it, it acts as a, a central nervous system depressor. So it, it brings on feelings of fatigue or tiredness. So something that you, you want to have when you're going to sleep at night. Um, but if caffeine's going to block that, so it would have the, the opposite effect. So that's why you, you know, you have those feelings of feeling more alert, more awake. Um, you even have a, a boost in your mood. Um, and all of those things are important for, for an athlete trying to perform. Um, but you also have these reductions in, in pain sensations um, or for the same workload, it feels easier. It feels less painful. Um, and in addition to those, you're having activation of, of, of muscles. Um, so caffeine is, you know, I mean, it's, it's really well established and it's very well used by athletes. Um, so do you have to be at the top end of your game? Like, do you have to be like, you know, on the, the cusp of, you know, complete physical fitness for, to get those effects or does that sort of roll no. on for anybody? Yeah, for anyone, for anyone. So, you know, anyone can be using, using the caffeine to um, help them get through, through a workout um, or a race and, and feel a bit better and in a better mood about doing it as well. Um, so the nice, the nice thing about caffeine is, as I said, that, that um, absorption through the oral mucosa. mucosa. Um, and, and the fact that it's, it's just caffeine. So normally in a sports setting, there's, there's, there's a lot of products that you can choose from, um, but they're generally wrapped up in the form of a, of a gel or a bar or a sports drink. So not only you have to carry that, that with you, but it means that you're tying that in with your calories or with your carbohydrates, your sugars. Um, and, and for me and for a lot of other athletes, it's not often desirable. You know, it's, it's not how you might want to set out your nutrition plan. Um, for instance, I often get up and train in the morning and I don't have anything to eat. Um, I don't want any sugar. I don't want any carbohydrate on board. Um, but I can have that, that small caffeine boost and, and still get what I want from that workout. Um, and it's the same through a race as well. It means that you can, you can be really precise um, and employ strategy when you're optimising performance. So you would, you would take one of these trips during a race typically? Is that what you do, Pip? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, for me personally, what I, what I do is I would use some before a race um, and then I would also use some throughout the race. It depends on the event. Um, but for other athletes, and, and, and again, it depends on, it depends on an individual tolerance um, in terms of if you, you regularly use caffeine, whether you, um, you're regularly using something like Revy's or whether you drink coffee or tea, um, that's going to change your tolerance. Um, also your body size, but, but also specifically your, your sporting event and how long that lasts. And if, 
you know, if it's an endurance, if you're an endurance athlete or a team sport athlete. Um, and so it depends how, how it's best going to work for you. Some people like to wait until later in an event. Um, cause what we also know about caffeine is that really tiny amounts taken late in a race have, have much bigger effect, effects. So essentially when the, when the brain gets tired, um, it's more sensitive to caffeine. Um, so you can have, you know, less than one milligram per kilo of body weight and as little as, you know, half a milligram um, can have can have a really huge boost on performance at that tail end of an event. Yeah, I reckon Robbo's going to put one of these little strips into his sock for the last uh, last 10 minutes of the game. Mate, I'll be uh, to, uh, yeah. rip one of these out in the last <laughs> 10 minutes. He's going to be all over the ruck. I'll be packing into the second row, <laughs> sucking on a sucking on a revy, I reckon. <laughs> sucking on a revy. There's a line. There's a line for them, eh? We'll sell that to them. We'll do a promo. <laughs> sucking on a revy. I've got it now. Kip, I, um, I want to segue back to your racing career. And we, we always try to tie back our show to children and kids and – we've had a theme running through the last year or so around resilience and grit. And I'd be curious to know, is there, if there was a race that you could replay back on YouTube or video of a race where you either won or you didn't win, but it was the best representation story or lesson that you would play to your children for them to take away for their own beliefs or values what what race talk me through what piece of video would you show um I think I think for me in my memory anyway one of the races I'm most proud of was a world cup in New York um it's just going back quite some years um and I was I was racing really well I was really fit I had won I'd won a world cup um I think two or three weeks prior to that over in Manchester in the UK. Um, And then the following week I had gone straight to another World Cup in Hungary um, and I had an absolute shocker, absolute shocker. Um, I I can't even remember where I finished. It was way, way, way down. But also in Hungary we had, we'd run the, um, we had won the World Cup team championships, which was a new event for that year, a very short event. So I'd, I'd come off, you know, those those two very good results and one really poor result, one of the worst that I'd had to date in my career. So I turned up to New York, um, lots of recent racing, good results, really fit. But I'd also, while I was in Hungary, having that shock of a race, I'd, I'd managed to get on the bottom of my feet I think it must have been to do with the heat. I don't know how I was running. Maybe because I was running so slow. But I I had got these massive blisters on the bottom of my feet that I couldn't actually walk. Um, so I would I would kind of hobble around the hotel room, have something to eat, and, and I literally couldn't walk. And so I was not feeling too great about the race at all. Um, and then to top it off, the swim which is held in the Hudson River that year, shockingly, was too dirty for swimming. So it was turned into a duathlon. So an extra 5K of running on top of that 
So it was a run, life run. So I was, you know, I, I, I actually, I actually almost pulled out. So I just can't do this. Almost pulled out. Um, and and even right up until the time I lined up on the start line, I have never been so anxious or nervous or not wanting to race. I really didn't want to race. And as soon as I put my foot on the start line, that all kind of disappeared. And despite the fact that I could barely walk up to the start line, I took off running. And, you know, all of those feelings are just gone. And not only was I enjoying it, running through Central Park in New York with all these other athletes, um, but, I, but I suddenly felt good. Um, and from that moment, I, ju- I just kind of, I felt like I took control not only of myself, but I, I took control of the race. You know, it wasn't panning out how I wanted it to in terms of it being a, a run by run. Um, but I just, I just took control of that. And, you know, I ended up, I ended up being second. Um, but even on that last 10K of the run, there were, there were lots of battles, give and take battles between different, different um, girls on the course. And, you know, that takes a lot of mental energy. <laughs> you have to be going back to that that mental space and that, that head space, you really have to be in the right frame of mind to not go, oh, you know, this hurts too much and, you know, I had those two good results just before and, um, you know, I've done pretty well to now. So it, it takes a lot to battle through that. So for me that was that was one of the most proud races and it was also a huge lesson in terms of you don't always know how are you going to feel until you start racing? Surely to beat pain like that, you need to take yourself out of the moment. You need to sort of take yourself away somewhere else. But at the same time, to perform at your best, you need to be in the moment. So how do you balance that? <laughs> I don't know. I think <laughs> you, know, you need a sports psychologist on to answer that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just why we play sport, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I always think there's a switching back and forth between the two. Yeah. Um, you know, some some of my best results too. You just, uh, you know, you're almost racing in surprise. You're like, this feels so easy, and it does. It, it feels so easy. And I and whether that's because you're doing well and you're enjoying it, and it's like, oh, you know, I could do this. I could do this every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the ones where you where you where you're not going how you want to. They're the ones that really hurt. Just prior to Christmas time, we spoke to a lady called Patria King. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but she runs a company called Quest for Life. And essentially, Patria deals with people who are grieving, who are perhaps in the twilight part of their life, people who are really struggling. And when we spoke to Patria right before Christmas, she had a a fascinating view on suffering. She said, suffering makes us wake up. And if you hurt enough, it's where you find true insights about yourself. It sounds like that race in New York, there was there must have been a period of suffering. And I suspect through the racing, you said during the interview that it hurts and you've got to dig deep. In your time of racing and whether it be New York or racing and you had to suffer, what's that woken you up to? Like what's the lesson you've taken from that? You know, that, that's hard, such a hard question. While you're asking it too, you know, it's, it's, really hard. it's really hard for me to say that 
talk about suffering, when we're talking about racing and doing something that we love, particularly, you know, you're talking about Patria, who's who's doing some amazing work with people who are truly suffering. Um, and I think, you know, that that's something for me too in terms of these last couple of years. You have this amazing perspective and you just think, my gosh, I am so lucky in life and I'm so lucky to have been able to do this and continue to do this. Um, and, and not everyone is able to do that. Um, so uh, I think I think it's very hard to truly say that you're suffering <laughs> when you're racing um, because it's in, in many ways it's a pleasure and it's something that you, um, you know, you should feel gratitude that, that you're able to be doing. Um, so I just I just don't think it's a it's a comparison at all to real life situations and problems. Mm. Oh, that's gold. That's gold. We quite often talk about movie star and martial artist Bruce Lee, and he had a saying that we loved, and it says, "It's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials." What's something that in the last six to 12 months you have, like an unessential you've hacked away at that you have found has had a profound impact on your world? Uh, I think, you know, I, th- I don't know. I, <laughs> you're asking the tough questions now. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're coming in just a minute. <laughs> yeah, no. See, get enough, get enough caffeine into you, the hard questions start to come. I don't know. I think, I think the last six to 12 months has been, has been really um, brought home to me how quickly time goes. Um, you know, you, you sit down and you see your kids and, and even if you, at the end of the night, I mean, once your kids are in bed, you pick up your phone and you look at pictures of your kids. So, you know, which is, which is really odd because you can't wait for them to go to bed. Um, and go to sleep, but then you've got to look at got to look at another picture of them. But you flick back through, you know, you go back six months, twelve months, and the rapid rate of change, um, and it just makes you realise how quickly time goes and how much changes in that in that time. Um, and it's something that I don't think that we really recognise as much as adults. Um, that even though that that time is going, those opportunities are going. Um, and there's a lot that can be can be done or, or lost in that time time frame as well, um, and so it just brings home that you know making the most of of each day of each opportunity in whatever avenue that is. I've got two more quick things before I hand to Robbo for the big question. Um, <laughs> we had a, a fascinating lady on the show a couple of months back called Diane McGrath who quite possibly could be one of the first people to live and set up a settlement on Mars. And it's a one-way ticket. So anybody listening who hasn't heard that show, it's absolutely fascinating. And the reason it's got an association to you is that Diane, like you, uh, enjoy eating crickets. Now, I saw a post, (laughs) I think, on social media that says you are into the and it's, it's summer here in Australia, so it is the cricket season, but you have a different approach to crickets. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, again, it's, it's been something that I've been aware of for quite some time um, in terms of, 
you know, crickets are a, a very sustainable food source. They're eaten by already by a lot of the world's population. But, you know, generally generally in the West we're a bit squeamish to that. Um, so this this was this um, this company was set up. They're a local company to here, um, and they they've given me uh, some cricket. They're making it as cricket powder um, that you can use in cooking, or or that you can add to a green drink. They add they're adding other things to it. So the green one has um, you know these other other superfoods that you can add to a green drink. They're also doing a cacao based one. Um, and, <laughs> Hello to our um, friends at Corona, Tim Tams, and whatever this cricket powder with cacao is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I mean, the thing is, nutritionally, nutritionally, they're an amazing food source. What they offer in terms of their vitamin B twelve and their protein and their and their various amino acids. Um, but also from a from an environmental and a sustainability point of view, they. They're one of the, the cleanest, best sources of protein. Um, and even when you're talking about plant protein, to be honest. Um, and so they, in a way, they they're almost are the, the food of the future and, and something that um, more of us should be trying to embrace. Even from a taste point of view, though, they're winners. They taste awesome. They do. They're good. Yeah, they're really um, nice. I, I, I said yeah. to my kids, I reckon you could replace popcorn at the theatre. You know, if you could change yeah. people's perception... I mean, they don't taste like popcorn, but, you know, just that little finger food thing where you sort of, you know, nibble in and get away with it. Yeah, it's, it's, to, it's totally a perception thing. Mate, we're onto something here because I've got, at this point, being summer here in Australia, I have got 100,000 grasshoppers <laughs> in my yard. <laughs> if I collect them, pull their heads off, put them in the blender, I'll send you some, buddy. We're onto something Awesome. Here. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. oh, imagine, imagine the protein pump you'll get at the gym with that on board. I, I reckon Pete Harrison might have a bit of a, th- a bit of a hands in the air when he finds you roasting crickets in his coffee ovens, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that no, is gold. I, I, I don't know enough about it, but uh, in terms of... In terms of what that means, picking ones up from your garden. But uh, oh, we don't need details. Don't worry about it, Pip. We don't need details. We just <laughs> we're just going to do it. We're all over it. Trust us. The details, guys, the guys from Grillo. The guys from Grillo <laughs> are doing. They're organic crickets. So who are they? It's all, it's all good there. They're organic crickets. The guys from Grillo. Yeah. Brillo. Grillo. Yeah. I've got to find this cricket powder. Someone. Um. Who was it? Ryan Munsey also talked about it last year, Gary. Yeah, we've had a few people. Uh, we've gone down this track. What was the name of the company? Is it B-R-I-L-O, Brillo? Grillo with a G. Oh, Grillo. We need some samples. There's a bar in America called Chirps, uh, which has been out now for two years, and Tim Ferriss spoke about it on his program many, many years ago. He had them on there, and uh, he said it tasted great. And once you get your head around the fact that it's grasshoppers. Um, <laughs> so I've been curious about it, so I want to get some of this Grillo stuff and try it. Uh, earlier we spoke about sleep and recovery. Mm-hmm. As a nutritionist, how does food affect our sleep? Every, every, every way, every way. So, I mean, what you what you eat in terms of inflammatory, anti-inflammatory, um, gut health, it has massive impact in terms of how what in terms of how your body responds to to, to foods, how it responds to stresses. Um, and on a day-in, day-out basis. Um, it also, you know, it, it impacts your sleep and recovery on a more acute basis. So in terms of how and when you're 
either fueling or recovering from a workout or how and when and what you're eating before you're trying to go to bed at night. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's really hard to break it down in terms of specifics because it's yeah. nutrition. I mean, to me, nutrition is really the underpinning basis of almost all health conditions. Um, and it's, you know, sadly, it's, it's the one thing that most of us get wrong. Um, what we know about nutrition, you know, less than, less than 10% of us get anywhere near the minimum recommended of fruit and vegetables. Um, and yet it is, it is the one, really the one component in terms of, um, health that, that is the most under our control. Um, sometimes you can't control if you're getting your sleep, if you've got kids waking you up or you have to work late to get a project done or get up early to get something done. Um, you can't control all the stress in your life, um, but you can control what you eat. Um, and in turn, that impacts how much stress you feel, how you respond to that stress. It, it, it impacts how you're able to cope with less sleep or more sleep. Um, so it's, it really is the most you know, changeable and, and significant part, I think, that we can look at improving. It's a big part as well. We had a, a guest on the show probably six months ago called Graham Cowan, who is an expert now, came out of the corporate world, and now he works with people suffering from depression and anxiety in the workplace. And he did a blog a little while ago that talked about the top priorities that are stealing people's resilience and affecting their mood. And he said 60% of the respondents, there were 500 corporate people he spoke to, 60% of them said they sleep poorly. So all this added up, it just seems like a bit of an epidemic that is this seemingly almost a sleeping giant in terms of recovery and performance, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and the interesting thing is what we know when it comes to um, to sleep, when it comes to, to mental health as well, is that that can all be tied back to the gut and the health of the gut. Um, and, you know, the primary way we have in terms of keeping the gut healthy is what we put into it um, and what we don't put into it as well. Um, and, we're, and we're seeing that more and more and more in terms of that gut-brain axis and, and, and even in terms of athletes, the gut-muscle axis. Um, and it's been an area that's been exploding in the last few years, that that area of gut and the probiotics and the microbiome and, and just how that impacts in, in every single way on every single health aspect and, and performance aspect. And, I mean, to me it's, it's fascinating and it, it just brings home all the time how any issue you might not think it relates at all to your gut or what you're eating, um, but there is some link. I met with a lady just yesterday, Pip, and I suspect that her issue is shared by millions of others around the world. Now, she had bouts of nausea, she had bloating, she has not been well for a number of years. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're probably depressed, you should take this. Now, this young girl is gorgeous, she's not, she's not um, uh, overweight, but she said, it's just not right and I can't bring myself to take drugs for depression. I know that's not right, but that's what the doctor was prescribing. So 
the thing that I spoke to her about was just doing some investigation on inflammation. Now, the reason for me bringing this up and the reason I would like to hear your thoughts is that there supposedly is a lot of data behind this, and I'm not a doctor and don't play one on the interwebs, but there's a lot of data behind now that inflammation of the gut that you just mentioned can be sitting behind lots of other major diseases we face like cancer, MS, heart, heart disease, dementia, Alzheimer's. There's a lot of research now sitting behind this. If that young lady is listening to this show and has the opportunity to hear you speak to this, if there were three things that somebody could do as part of their normal day to treat the inflammation that potentially could be in their gut, Give me the three things that I would do immediately. Um, the three things. I'll give you two dietary things and one non-dietary. Um, yep. The first thing I would do is, is try and remove everything inflammatory. Um, and the bulk of that, you know, is going to come from from sugars and, and refined carbohydrate foods. Um, so that brings you to the second point of really – trying to just flood your body with with foods that are anti-inflammatory and that are nourishing and also help feed the good bacteria in your gut because when you have healthy gut bacteria, they really help protect that that gut wall, um, reduce levels of inflammation and also prevent um, toxins and, and other substances entering the bloodstream that shouldn't be there but then you know, set up that chain of, of inflammatory events throughout the body. Um, so flooding it with, with all your fresh fruits and vegetables, it's really basic, in some ways boring advice. Um, yeah. But that's that's really the key. Um, and then the third thing I'd be doing is, is trying your best to get good sleep and rest. <laughs> um, let's break that down. Sugars, we get that. Refined carbs. Tell me the sorts of things you would typically see in someone's diet that would be categorised as refined carbs. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of the Western diet actually. A lot of you know the cereals and um, breads and pastas. They're all refined carbs, and it's not to say that any any one of those foods is is particularly problematic. But when they become the bulk of your food um, yeah. and what you base you know almost every meal on. Um, then that does become problematic. The other thing, you know, processed and packaged foods, which you have not only generally a lot of sugars and a lot of um, processed carbs, but you also have the, the processed um, oils as well, which which in them in cells are inflammatory, um, and particularly once you start up set up that imbalance between omega six and omega threes, and um, and tip tip the inflammation. Uh, up to a problematic level. Are you an advocate for kefir and kombucha and sauerkraut Absolutely. and so on? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. All of those foods that, that are really rich in um, the probiotic spectrum um, yeah. and really the spectrum particularly particularly if they're ones that you're making yourself, um, that you, you're not going to get that same spectrum from... The, the commercially available probiotic supplements, um, you know, they, they can definitely be beneficial. Um, so I'm not anti those, but there's a much broader spectrum of probiotics plus what you're getting in foods like, um, you know, the sauerkraut and other sorts of 
um, fermented vegetables is you're getting the prebiotics as well, which, you know, they're the, think of them as the food for the probiotics, the food for the bacteria. Um, so it's no good to having just the, the probiotics or the bacteria if you're not going to give them anything to eat. So that those kind of fibers are what they what they need to to survive and thrive in your gut. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, Pippa. One thing I've found is, and I make all those things myself. I've got water water grain kefir going, got my own kombucha going. I make sauerkraut. Yeah, yeah. The thing I found about it is that I was. I'd heard about it for years before I started doing it and I was put off thinking, oh, no, it's too hard, it's too technical, you've <laughs> got to have vats going and you're boiling this and everything else. But what I have no. found is it's so damn easy to do. People just need yeah. to get onto YouTube, watch a few clips, buy cabbage, buy some salt, and it's really, it actually is very easy to make very all easy. these things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, particularly, you know, I mean, kefir, you can't really get much easier than that. In fact, before I spoke to you guys, I just strained off, strained off my kefir. You know, <laughs> it's um, so did I. <laughs> it, it makes it makes itself. You're not really doing anything. It does, does all I'm, the work itself. <laughs> it's funny. I did the same thing. <laughs> I'm in Gary's boat. I've actually heard about it, but I haven't got off my ass and done anything about it. But by the sounds of that, I think I should. Yeah, super easy. Well, the other thing that I find with it, it's really easy to do, but something else I don't think people recognise is that once you have made it, and it really is quite simple, folks, once you've made it and get used to it, you can then flavour it. And by using real raspberries and real strawberries and ginger and so on, you can make your own ginger beer and, you know, cherry flavored kefir and my family drinks it and it doesn't it tastes like a normal soft drink yet it's really good for your gut and i promise you folks it's not if i can do it honestly anybody can do it. <laughs> well that's true <laughs> no it is uh the other question is pip for your thoughts uh bone broth made properly with grass-fed bones uh would that be something you would include for inflammation yeah definitely you know there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of new evidence coming out to support that as well as as well as you know leaning on some of the um, I guess some of the traditional learnings. People have been doing this for a long time, um, and generally over over time, those traditional societies have been very healthy. Um, so, so yes, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's benefits to incorporating that. We should add a warning to that, though, that if you want to keep your family, send them away for the weekend while you make it. Oh, stinks. <laughs> <laughs> my family goes off every time they come home on a Saturday or something and I've, I've got a bone broth on. It's, oh, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get that from the farm gate. It's about 500 metres to the house. They go, you're not, are you? Yep. Oh. It does. Uh, but what I would suggest you do is, Bone broth, once again, I think, Pip, it's fair to say it's really easy to make. Uh, yes. But you do want to do it in the kitchen where you can lock it up basically and open up your windows, your doors, and lock up the rest of the house because it does seep. Or do it on the barbecue, <laughs> something like that, get it out of the house. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I don't have that, that issue. With my, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just more used to it. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's something yeah, you just get used to, but um, you know it's it's interesting too. All of these foods we're talking about are such old foods, um, and you know it's interesting from not only from a health point of view um, that they've worked for a long time in terms of keeping people healthy, but also from a sustainability point of view. You know, you're using 
you're using all the produce. It's not only a way of preserving some of those vegetables in terms of sauerkraut and other veg, and in terms of the cabbage and the sauerkraut, um, using all the animal by using all the bones and um, and preserving it as well. It's it's you know I think it it says a lot too that we've become we've become quite immune to. Uh, waste. <laughs> you know what I've noticed too, Pip, because I, I was a complete novice to all this stuff until Gary came to me and said, look, let's do this show. And the one thing I've noticed is it's not only in food, it's in every part of our lives that looking back at the way we used to do things is actually showing that that's the way we should still be doing things, that we've actually advanced so far that we're actually, it's to our own detriment in so many ways and so many parts of our life. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's um. There's, there's positives and negatives, you know, we're advancing so we understand some of the science behind that and how we can we can use it better to our advantage and we can be strategic about that, whether that's technology or whether that's understanding nutritional science and, you know, we're really starting to understand the gut and there's ways um, that over the next coming years that we'll be able to use the gut to in perhaps a therapeutic sense in terms of treat actually treating some of these conditions um but so you know from from that perspective it's we've we've come a long way but in in some of the other aspects as you say we we need to return a little bit to basics um simplify some of the things Certainly in terms of food you know it's not it's not it's not rocket science um Pip I have one final question which just occurred to me, and this may seem like an odd question, but it is, I'm curious about it. She's busy on Saturday night, mate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> back, back when Robbo and I worked at Triple M in the halcyon days of the M's, there, we, used to, we used to promote and sponsor the triathlon series. And back in the day, it was when guys like Greg Welsh and the Croc and Spud and these guys were racing, who were the legends yeah. at that time <laughs> and, and some of the greatest of all time in terms of Australian triathlon, if not the world triathlon. Yeah. And what I remember. That's before my time. <laughs> what are you saying? We're old? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes. I'm saying, I'm saying don't age me that much. <laughs> no, no, and I, no, and I used to talk to Greg and those guys because we got to know them quite well through the racing and promotion of it. And what I remember is they used to practice their transitions and transitioning from the water to the bike, bike to the run and so on. And I always found that very interesting. And Greg would talk about the fact that he could pick up quite a bit of time and it was quite a specialty thing and I'm just wondering whether in your mind, at the early in the interview you talked about time efficiency and I suspect you're into time blocking. Is there a secret you took from transitioning in triathlon that you use in transitioning from one thing to another as an entrepreneur, a mum or a business person? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm still trying to... Still working on on getting that, I think, getting that efficiency there. <laughs> um, you're right, though, in, in terms of my work, because I always have this this to do list that um, doesn't seem to get smaller; it just seems to get added to, and then you have these these small pockets of time to work on it that uh, you know I, I really have to make the most of. It. And you're right; I have used um, some of those. Uh, I, I don't even know what it's called, but the essentially like a timer where you have a certain amount of time 
you know, that you set aside to do a task and then you have, you almost have a small um, mini break. Um, oh, the Pomodoro I, I technique? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and for me, I find that that works in terms of getting that, that small pocket of work quite efficiently done. Um, in terms of transitioning between all the roles, I don't know. I think that's uh, something that you just do. <laughs> I thought it was a stupid question. Um, Take off that hat, put on the next one. <laughs> we... Um, just on the, to finish that a bit off, we had a fantastic guest on the show during Rocktober, a guy called Ryan Munsey, and he explained the Pomodoro technique to us and uh, I must say it is a, a wonderful time-blocking technique for us to use to make us more productive in performance and productivity. So um, anyone who's interested in what Pip just talked about listening to Ryan Munsey in Rocktober at the Pomodoro, where you can find online actually in Google. Um, Pip, this has been great. Before I wrap up, I'm just going to throw it to Robbo now for the beer. I think you're sufficiently warmed up. I think we've been through the swim. I think you've come off the bike quite well. It's yeah. time for the, for final, the, nifty uh, 90. the final leg. Yeah, let's Uh-oh. do the Nifty 90. Oh, okay. <laughs> Robbo's Nifty 90. All right, here we go. What's your favourite outdoor activity? Running. Finish this sentence. I never get tired of cooking. What's your favourite naughty treat? Oh, you know, it's not naughty, but I eat chocolate every day. That's not naughty. No, not naughty at all. Yeah, good no. chocolate. Yeah, healthy. Uh, <laughs> if you could take a plane trip anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Iceland. I really want to go there at the moment. Yeah, Iceland. Red or white wine? Red. Favorite TV show? We don't have a TV, but I do watch while I ride. Um, and I've been loving um, Please Like Me. Josh Thomas, Please Like Me. Ooh. Besides the birth of your children, what's your greatest achievement in your life so far? Being able to turn sport that I love into a career. Three words that describe yourself? Stubborn. <laughs> nice. Love it. Love it. Hardworking. Um, curious. What's the last song that you listen to on iTunes? Yeah, you know, I've, I've got two kids. Um, probably not, not the best question to ask. No, this will give us a good insight. Generally, Come on, cough it up. Generally, generally, I have one of the play school songs or a nursery rhyme or something stuck in my head. There you go. There's a pair in there and a chair as well. And that's your nifty ninety done. Well done. <laughs> Hey, um, just to add to uh, the favourite television programs, mm. I don't know if you have Netflix or not, but I have been riveted to a new series called Suits. Has anybody seen that uh, yet? No. Suits? That's old. Oh, is it? <laughs> come on. So is Gary. Oh. Come on. <laughs> well, it's just come on the most, you know, uh, the most favourite on Netflix yeah. and I flipped onto it and uh, Harvey Specter yeah, is just great. so cool. Yeah, it's a really good show. I, I have to say, because we actually, we actually don't have a TV and we don't don't have it in the house. But I really when I'm riding. I, I do a lot. Yeah, I do a lot of um, riding my bike on the um, on the on the ergo. Um, and so I, I I watch programs while I do that. It, it helps the time go. Helps the pain. Um, and suits was you know I tend to watch series and just kind of binge watch as you're writing. Um, suits was one. Suits was one of those. You always you always get a bit sad when a series ends. <laughs> I thought it was new. Uh, there's quite a few seasons of it. Yeah, Gary's just discovered this great new band called the Beatles too. So you know I wouldn't take too much <laughs> offence with that. <laughs> a few a few years old anyway. 
Tell you who's going to break Rolling Stones. I don't know if you've heard them yet, but they oh. they have they have got a future. Oh, have you heard their new album though? <laughs> I tell you what, I their have. new album's out. Oh man, tell you what, go have a listen to that if you want to get your mojo going. Really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, Pip, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute delight chatting with you, uh, and I, I love the fact that you opened the show with you believed your best racing is still ahead of you. That. Um, it's just a wonderful thought, lots of gold. You've been a delight to chat to and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch and watching your career continue to grow. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been really fun. Hi, I'm Lee Waters, Professor in Positive Psychology. I usually have a positive outlook on life unless I'm listening to Robbo and Gary on the Mojo Radio Show. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. What an extraordinary lady to... That, that story she told about running that marathon with the sore feet, that, that just takes so much grit. That's unbelievable. You could almost uh, cut that piece up and put that into getting after it as well, I reckon. Twice yeah. Hard, get yeah. a hard hat. It'd be close, wouldn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> or good. I can tell you what, it's a great example of not every day is a Doris day, get a hard hat. That's right. I mean, how many <laughs> examples could you draw? I mean, you know, say so your feet are sore. Good. Good. Yeah. Okay, we're all it. At the Mojo Radio Show, we love hearing about people who are chasing their dreams. I have a dream. People who are getting after it. I have known our next guest for quite a few years, and I've got to say, I've really watched the progression of his business. He's a guy that started out with an idea, did it tough for a while. And it's every day, and I mean every day, looking for the next great idea, and he is really getting after it. When I saw a post recently on LinkedIn, he's developed a brand new product with something called turmeric. And if you have been with the show for a long time now, you'll remember Robbo talking about turmeric, the health benefits, and we have been a big rap on putting a little turmeric into our smoothies. So... I contacted Michael to get him on the show to give us a rundown of this new product around turmeric. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Oh, pleasure to be here, Gary. Thank you. Now, you've got a good radio voice, mate. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? He actually reminds uh, me get, of someone. We might get you doing a few promos for us, mate, because you, uh, you've got a good radio voice as a guest. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've often been told I've got a head for radio. Yeah, right. Can, can I tell you from a producer's point of view that the client voicing their own commercials was always my worst nightmare, but in your case, I think it would probably work. Oh, uh, well, yes, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I should do that. should do more of that stuff. I used to do it as a presenter and, uh, and so on for many years, but I moved on to the wonderful world of cordial and that filled in my free time completely. <laughs> so let's start there, mate. Tell me, just give us a quick executive summary of alchemy like how did this all start well it actually started uh, as most things do at a dinner party in byron bay drinking far too much and uh one of the guys that was at the party said would you like to try my family's recipe for chili cordial and i said no nah, that sounds dreadful i said no five times but he was quite insistent and so ultimately i said okay just to shut you up i'll try it and i tasted it it was the most amazing experience i'd ever had because it was a chilli cordial, so it was a combination of fire and water, but it was absolutely delicious. So we started mixing it with vodka and stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning and decided at that point that we were going to make the world's first chilli soft drink and make a million bucks. But uh, we knew nothing about the beverage industry or business, so 
what we did after running around and spending an enormous amount of time and energy, um, uh, we, <laughs> we basically got lost everything that we had and uh, learned some valuable lessons, at, at, at which point I returned to the most basic level of commerce that you can, which is making it as a cordial, colouring in labels with textures and selling them at the local markets. And so that's, that's when alchemy, the cordial or syrup business really kicked off. And that was on Valentine's day in 1997. So quite some time ago. And in the intervening years, we've moved from making, you know, gourmet cordials for grown ups or people who dress like them and um, morphed because we had a couple of fantastic summers. And then the first winter that we had, no one drank cordial. And so we thought, well, how can we, winterproof this business and uh so we looked around at um at the international trends and saw you know the flavored coffee phenomenon and also the chai category about to take off and so we were the first company in australia to make syrups that go into coffee and to create a uh, a chai elixir that you just mix with hot milk and so um, that really changed the direction of the business from a sort of gourmet cordial sold in delis to um, syrups that go into coffee. And, and that shifted our focus from delis to cafes, uh, of which there are, you know, 20,000 or so in Australia. So that's been keeping us very, very busy for the last uh, 18 19 years. Now, I came into contact with you again because I've known you for quite a few years, but I came into contact with you again when you were launching the Golden Turmeric Elixir. Just run it for us. What What is that drink and, and why should people be investigating and trying it? Well, look, can I, can I change tack very slightly because I've got to give credit where credit is due. The time before that that we met, Gary, I was a member of Tech and uh, they have guest speakers and presenters on a regular basis. And you came along at a time that I was deeply struggling with where to go next with our business. And uh, your presentation and the workshop that we did was all about branding and uh, and and you know, the the vision and the story and the culture. And I was really wrestling with this. And as part of you know a, a number of things that you said. Once you were presenting to a large group and you were raving on in, in your usual passionate way about some aspect <laughs> of, of business, and then you turned to the audience and said, look, this is just a way of doing stuff. It's not like we've created a cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate. And I sat bolt upright in my chair and went, I can do that. Mm. And so that was three years ago. Two years ago, I bought a farm down here in northern New South Wales, which is where I live, just behind Lennox Heads, and it grows turmeric. And so I started, you know, playing with this and turning it into drinks with a view to, you know, that I've never forgotten that cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate. And so what we did with Alchemy is change our direction. So we're looking at creating delicious medicine, you know, and if, if um, food is the, food's the real medicine, so something that people can have every day to improve the quality of their life. That was our dream. That was our vision. And that's what we've been working for. Cut to uh, our farm here in Tintin Bar and uh, we grow turmeric and I was, you know, grating it up and steeping it and turning it into cordials, all of which had very short shelf life. And, and looking at the wider market, you know, obviously we supply thousands of cafes and if we can create a product using the goodness of turmeric, all the functional benefits that turmeric has and it's been proven, you know, 
over and over and over again to do all sorts of fabulous anti-inflammatory things and it does all sorts of, you know, there's thousands of published works on the on the um, functional benefits of turmeric. So we wanted to create something that was turmeric-based, very, very delicious, and that had the capacity to be served in cafes in a way that was delicious for the customer, profitable for the cafe, and easy to make. And that, and that it took us two years to go from that original idea to the product that we launched at Fine Food down at Melbourne um, a couple of months ago. There is there's a lot of the reason that the, the turmeric thing is so interesting for us is because we've been sort of following this for quite a few years on the show, and it's been proven that turmeric has a lot of health benefits, like you said, anti-inflammatory, uh, enhancing mood digestion improvement, cleansing, antioxidant properties. I mean, it's got a lot going on in terms of benefits. How how have you gone about taking – I mean, first of all, I think that the dream is noble, and I've, I've been saying for ages, I just wish I could go and buy a drink that actually was enhancing my wellness as opposed to detracting from my wellness. So I think what you're onto is just very noble. How have you gone about taking a drink which is – functional and making it enjoyable well that's that's the art and you know we're now 20 years into this beverage game and and you know what started us in the first place with rose petal cordial and things like and this chili and lemon is it's you know we're obsessed with flavor so if at first if we can't make it oh my god eyes roll back in your head delicious we're not going to put our name to it and and you know one of the one of the great challenges with a lot of food that is functionally beneficial is it tastes like crap and, and so and so compliance you know wheatgrass shots are brilliant for you but they just don't taste nice enough to have all day you know every day so you know the the challenge is to create something that's so delicious that people want it every day can't can't be without it and yet it's giving them the the daily dose of anti-inflammation that they so much need you know in india they have uh, turmeric in breakfast lunch and dinner and so they have none of the none of the very few of the issues that present in in australia uh, as a result of our very different diet and very different stress levels and all those sorts of things but if if you were if you were habituated to having a little bit of turmeric in your breakfast and your lunch and your dinner every day you wouldn't need anything mm. we're not you know, we, we, we live a, uh, a fast lifestyle of coffee and crap food and, and uh, too much alcohol and many people smoke and do all those sorts of things. So what they're looking for is a magic bullet. The magic bullet doesn't exist, but a number of small changes add up fairly quickly. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is create some, uh, uh, an offer in a cafe that they can feel good about and enjoy at the same time. I'm I'm living proof of the the um the benefits of turmeric. I have Crohn's disease. <clears throat> Excuse me. And ah. over the last twelve months, after reading a lot about turmeric, have included heaps more turmeric in my diet than I used to. I always ate curries and stuff with turmeric, but I've started putting it in smoothies for breakfast and wherever I could use it. Um, yeah. I went to my doctor yesterday, to my my gastroenterologist yesterday, and and he did a couple of procedures and and came back saying, you know, your Crohn's is looking much better. When I mentioned to him the use of turmeric, he kind of went, oh, yeah, it might help a little bit. And and I know the truth. For me, I know the truth. For me, I, I put it down to, you know, all the changes that I've made in my diet. 
Is that a tough message for you to sell? And if so, how do you sell that message that, you know, people might go, oh, come on, get a turmeric, really? It's going to do all that for me? Well, it's it's interesting. We're um, very bound by the for SANS Food Standards Australia and New Zealand uh, to the point where we can't actually claim any antioxidant benefit at all in our product. None, zero. You can't make that claim. Uh, But what I found interesting... When we started uh, bringing this product to the market at Fine Food, you know, we had people rushing up to the stand. You've got turmeric. This cures cancer. You know, so the awareness for the benefits of turmeric are so widely known. I mean, it's 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 been the spice of 2016, and I see that only continuing. Um, and and interestingly, you know, doctors are very slow to catch on. They uh, the in, in medical training, they do an eight they do eight hours worth of lecture on diet as part of their medical degree. So what do they know? You know this is they're not dietitians. They're not even nutritionalists. They're they're physicians. And and so it's very difficult for them to see the benefit of something that they've not necessarily studied. Of course, there are great exceptions to that rule. But typically, um, doctors are habituated to prescribe drugs for um, for problems. And Crohn's disease is a, is a horrible thing. You know more than I do. But, um, but uh, you know, it's, it's inflammation-based. Michael, if we go back to alchemy mm. and the formation of a company now some 20 years old and... Yeah. Your logo has transforming refreshment. Hearing you talk about making functional drinks that have a purpose and help us towards our wellness, how important has that been to have that message to guide the company? It, uh, look, vision is everything. And, and uh, I, I'm very fortunate in that um, I have a business partner, Malcolm, who runs the operational business. Uh, because I live down in northern New South Wales, I'm there two days a week. And my job is really vision, values, and um, what's next, what's new. Um, we spent a lot of time around when we first met um, and in that tech period, um, Gary, working on, you know, who are we, what do we stand for, what are we all about? And we came up with um, this beautiful cultural statement, which is uh, we're an internal community serving an external community with a total customer focus, a growth-oriented team of purposeful people engaged in a crusade of transforming refreshment while having fun and making some money. Obsessed with continual improvement, we have no time for blame, isolation or aggression. See, I even remember it off the top of my head. It means that it's much. It was off the top me. of your head, was it? Yeah, and it means that much to everyone here oh, at Alchemy. Nice. It was all there. It was all everyone's words put together and that drives us all the time. And it's interesting because it's so strong that people who drift actually self-correct, you know, we do reviews every six months with everyone. And, you know, we had one girl who was you know, a bit lost and, and so on. And she said to us in the review, look, I know I've been out of, uh, out of values for a while. I'm sorry about that. I've had this going on in my personal life and I'm just here to say I'm coming back and I'm with you. And the timing must be right for you. I mean, going back 20 years ago, there's no way that we were as functionally focused with our purchases as they are today. No, it's, it's, it's transformed dramatically. I think, you know, uh, when we kicked off, everyone uh, drank Coke, wore Levi's, smoked Marlboro, and, um, you know, we, we were that sort of um, – we were monocultures as people. I think everyone wanted to, wanted to conform and, and dress the same way and behave the same way. Now it's just broken into um, thousands of little subcultures and uh, the health 
market and awareness for good living and lifestyle design has grown so much in the last few years. And, uh, you know, the, the subset that we operate in, which is cafe space, has been changing so dramatically and, and evolving so fast. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate because I do get to spend a fair bit of time visiting cafes and seeing these trends as they emerge. And uh, what we try and do is see what's new and interesting and think, how might we build on that and, and make it more delicious and more effective? Michael, in your time of being an entrepreneur that started with a couple of glasses of wine and an idea to going to the markets to where you are today in cafes all over the country. There's someone listening to this who has got either desire to do something or has got an idea but hasn't taken the first step. What's the greatest lesson that you have taken out in your 20-year journey? You've, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. What, um, what's the best piece of advice you'd pass on? Oh, be deeply curious. Be deeply curious. And, and you know, if you take a new first step every day, you realise that steps are just what you have to do. Um, you know, if you're hanging off making a decision, there's going to be another one right behind it. So um, acquire skills, be deeply curious in terms of you know, how might we do this differently? How could we, you know, keep asking great questions of yourself and everyone around you and, uh, and learn. You know, you don't, there's not that much new under the sun and there's someone who already knows the answer. Just ask them. I mean, the, the, great, uh, the great advantage that I had was I knew nothing about anything about business. And so I didn't, you know, I wasn't trapped in any particular mindset. Um, and the joy of the exposure of um, being involved in a business owners group was that uh, I saw lots of different perspectives and found out that there is no one way to be successful. There's just your way and, uh, you know, keep, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, uh, make decisions. Some will be right. Some will be wrong. You'll learn more from making one than from not making one. The question that you don't ask teaches you nothing. I reckon there's gold in then the turmeric roots. Get it? Gold, <laughs> turmeric. Oh, I'll tell you what. That's why we call Stretching for it today, mate, I've got to tell you. Gold, gold. Can, I, I, can I say that the thing I love most about your story is that the, the what you spoke about at the beginning, that you went through some times where the business sort of fell over, but rather than yeah. turning around and saying, hey, you know, well, it didn't work, you got back on the horse, back to the markets and started all over again. And I think if anyone takes a message out of what we've talked about today, for me, that's a big one. Yeah, without a doubt. If it's your dream, never give up, right? Which is not the same as carry on doing the same thing if it's not working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, Absolutely. You know, what uh, you just need that self awareness and that awareness of what is happening within your business. If it's not working, you ask the question, how might we improve this? And then set about to do that. Um, there's no value in continuing to do the same thing and expecting a different result. Um, but there's tremendous value in iterating and changing. And uh, particularly if you've got that compass that says north is this way, you know, we're on a crusade of transforming refreshment. So in your decision making, does this move us towards or away from our vision? And, that, you know, those sorts of hard 
definite rules or guides um, make it easy to make better decisions that all lead to the direction you want to go. It's, it's easy to drift and it's easy to chase shiny lights, but if it's not taking us where we need to go, we just don't need to do it. And, you know, we've got a sign here in the studio, Michael, that says, not every day is a Doris day. You know. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Stuff's going to happen. Just going to put, you know, life's tough. Put a hard hat on. Get, right, out, get after it. I was going to say, it's right next to the one that says, life's tough, get a helmet. Yeah. Get a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's true, you know. Ultimately, what I, when, I, when I was first kicking off, I thought, oh, billionaires in a minute and uh, all that sort of stuff. I find now, 20 years on, the, uh, the money kind of takes care of itself, but the, um, the ability for someone with a very low boredom threshold to be captivated every day requires a lot of mental panel beating. Um, you know, you've got, to, you've got to talk yourself into having a great day every day, and the days you don't... It's not a Doris day. It's not a Doris day, not that's right. Not a Doris day. Not today, no, tomorrow will be. A rock, Hudson. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, Michael, this has been, uh, been lovely to catch up. I just want to reiterate for everybody that we... This is not an advertorial. This is not a paid sponsorship we just find people for this segment that we reckon are getting after it. We've got something to share that we can all take and put into our own worlds in and out of work. And um, I love the messaging around the, the purpose, the values, getting after it. I think the product, the turmeric, the golden turmeric elixir we're looking forward to trying at some point down the track we find it. I'll shoot you some down. Where do people find it, Michael? Where, where would they find a an elixir? Well, um, you'd probably find it through your health food store. In fact, uh, we, it, it was launched recently with our health food distributor and it was their number two product for that for the, for the month of launch, which was only a month ago. So uh, I, clearly it's meeting a need in the marketplace. So uh, I think... Uh, some of the IGAs in their wellness and, and uh, healthy living section would have it. You can't miss it. It's bright yellow. What's your? How do we find you online? Uh, website, uh, Instagram, uh, Alchemy Cordial, AlchemyCordial.com.au or Facebook Alchemy Cordial. Um, you know we're we're reasonably visible. Nice. Good but, on you, mate. Um, well, feel, feel free to jump on, say hi, and um, thank you so much for the opportunity, Gary. Uh, you do amazing work. Um, I would not, I can fairly comfortably say I wouldn't be where we are now without your challenging questions in that presentation oh, that we don't had. Don't tell so, him uh, that. Well, there's, no. the there's, there's, the promo, there's the promo for the show. And there's not enough room in the studio now. You're one of the many. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Toned it down a little bit. Thanks, mate. Yeah, got to pull that punch. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, mate. Pleasure, guys. Thank you. The Mojo Radio Show. You mentioned in the intro to that interview that um, I had been using turmeric for a while, and I have now for almost two years. Um, and the trick I've found is not only just sticking it in your smoothie or even using the golden turmeric elixir, the trick I've found is getting into everything you can, and it's so easy to do because turmeric's such an earthy flavour. I throw a, t- a teaspoon in bolognese. I've even made a turmeric ice cream, um, and the kids loved it, surprisingly enough, because it, it got that golden colour, but there's not really any taste to go with it. So the more you can get into your body, the more you're going to see the results, and, and I can certainly testify that the results I've seen since I made a conscious decision to, to include it in more and more foods in my and my family's life, they're, they're more than obvious. So um, so it's well worth a go, folks. The Mojo Radio Show.
Now, if you are a rock aficionado, you would know that that was Kiss with Paul Stanley singing Shout It Out Loud. And uh, happy birthday to Paul Stanley. It was his birthday last week. The boys from the Dead Days just got in contact and said uh, shout out to Paul Stanley. Indeed. Happy birthday to Paul. God, you must be, they must be getting up there now, mustn't they? They've got to be in their 60s easy. <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> And this is typical of how we go in the studio. We're just, we're just throwing some stuff around. We thought, actually, that'd make a really good segment. Mm. So our new little segment to close today's show is called Shout Out. And we are giving a shout out to those people who, let's say, probably aren't recognised for the great work we do. And this week's shout out goes to the emergency service people working around the world. Now, it comes to mind here in Australia because it's summer. Last year, we had one of the hottest years ever on record in our country here in Australia. And right now, across our country, there are some raging bushfires. And I personally spent two full days on a big bushfire in central New South Wales. We were pulling long 14, 15-hour shifts. It was hard goddamn work up there. It was a big fire. The boys and girls did a wonderful job. We had choppers and fixed aircraft in the air and we had dozers and graders and people were working 12, 14-hour shifts and then as we left, a new crew would come in and all these people were doing it for free. And the thing for me, Robbo, is that there is a massive fire in Chile. There are tornadoes and hurricanes sweeping across America and there are people out putting themselves on the line, leaving their families doing really hard work and long, long shifts and they're doing it for completely nothing. And to me, that's service, that's community and that is putting yourself out there for others. So our shout-out goes out to all the rural fire services here in Australia and around the world, to all the emergency service crews that are out there saving lives, saving property and putting things right. So um, I think with that, we should go back to one of the Mojo Radio Show anthems and leave with a little bit of ACDC. And to all those crews, we salute you. We're out.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.